Welcome, everybody, to a vacuous vocation where we discuss anarchism. And one topic of anarchist philosophy or libertarian philosophy is the question of suicide. What is the perspective on suicide? And purely from a theoretical standpoint, the typical libertarian answer is you have a right to kill yourself now this does not mean i advocate for suicide but it's something worth spending some time to understand and where we have to begin is with john locke's conception of property and the question of who owns you do you own yourself if you can accept that you own the shoes on your feet the shirt that you bought, your toothbrush that you use, then this is your property. And even more importantly, your body is your property. If someone else can tell you that you can't do this or that with your own body, well, then, I mean, first, we have to really get into understanding what rights are. So the libertarians typically are in favor of negative rights, but reject positive rights. And an example of, of a negative right is something you don't need other people for. So to think, to breathe, to move your body, these are things that you have naturally as part of your abilities as a human being. Now, positive rights are rights that you need other people for for example the right to own a microwave well you need everyone who if that was labeled a right you need everyone who first manufactured the microwave to either work for money or by compulsion to create the microwaves that are your right essentially so you can apply this to most things whether it be Education, healthcare, um, um, a right to a home, a right to food, to clean water. These are all good things in, in themselves, but, but making them a right by dictate essentially makes them compulsory to a civilization and a society. And in order to understand the implementations and the effects of this, you have to understand that these positive rights um, have effects. And what I mean by this is Ludwig von Mises used the example of milk. When you have, um, when you impose a price control on milk, so you make the price at a ceiling, it cannot be, the cost of milk for consumption cannot be more than this specific price. In essence, what you're, in essence, what you're doing is you're pricing out the marginal producers of a certain good. And for this case, in the milk um, producers, the farm, I mean, those are the cows, but the farmers who, you know, take, take the milk to the market are, have to cover their cost. And if they can't compete with um, the larger industries who can have a cheaper cost, they still supply their milk on a market 
um, at a marginally higher price typically, but maybe it's to more localized communities, for example. And when you impose this law of a price ceiling on a certain good, all you're doing, in essence, is reducing the what otherwise would have been optimal supply discovered on the market. Um, so now you can take this example of a price control that essentially creates shortages and apply it to homes in the form of rent control, apply it to healthcare in the forms of doctors willing to perform specific services such as surgeries, um, as well to, to education all across the board. And what I'm trying to get at is that each intervention in the market creates distortions. And these distortions typically are not seen. They're considered to be the unseen consequences of a specific government mandate. And I really think that there's an anarchist argument to be made that a large percentage of the suicides that occur in the society come due to distortions from government involvement in the society. And more specifically, let's begin with some concrete examples. In schools, why is it that we, we always blame bowling as the culprit, but never the place where bowling occurs? Um, for example, we all know that the roads are dangerous, and we say, buckle your seatbelt. Um, and yet we, we tell people don't drink and drive. But but why is it the people that never run and operate the roads are held liable for allowing the having the accessibility of people who are going to potentially commit harm, harm other people to be allowed entrance? Uh, you can have more rigorous ways of preventing harm and crime in societies, but we're not able to see this because typically where most of these crimes occur are in institutions that are not allowed to have competition in the purest sense of the word. Um, there's heavy amounts of regulation that go into the the operation in the services of roads and schools um what schools are is institutions of ideology and if you can control the ideology you can to some extent control the population so that's why governments don't like private schools as much because it creates a, a competition in ideology but what i'm trying to get at is if you look at at children who go to these schools the most you know um vulnerable people in a society they're small they're weak they're fragile they're very malleable mentally you put them in a room sometimes with people who are not like them at all and schools can be some of the only places that children ever ever encounter violence in their lives and there's countless examples of bullying that leads to depression, that leads to self-harm, that leads to suicide. And I think that we have to not just blame, you know, stupid children for what they do, but also also the, the institution itself of, of, 
of bureaucracy. There's many teachers who are no, not any better than some of these children. Some of these teachers are bullies to children as well. And when those children are compelled by law to go into this room, be locked in a room, these literally become literal prisons for children. Um, and I think that we can do way better. Now, another example of suicide is in the financial sector. If you look at the Great Depression, if you look at the, the, the recession of 2008, many people lost their livelihoods, their jobs, and many people were driven to suicide. Uh, I heard about a, a um, place in London, part of like the financial district or something, a bar, like a rooftop bar that after the 08 recession, a lot of bankers or, or um, you know, Wall Street types investors would go to that bar and jump off. And the issue is when you have this fiat money that's backed by nothing other than the, the force of the Navy, of the government, and you have these malinvestments and low percentages of investment rates that, that allow for this, this quantitative easing to occur, um, you don't have markets that are backed by consumer demand. You have markets that are severely distorted and they're faulty. And when they default because prices have to adjust and the cleansing process occurs of like trying to reallocate prices to resources used, a lot of these businesses and sectors are not used adequately. And when they go under and these investments um, default and they, they fall flat on their face, people have no, those specific types of people, I feel like lack the moral or the, the as Mises said, um, in regards to being a banker, if you were, if you were smart, you wouldn't be. The idea being that you're just dealing with money. You get removed from actual goods and services that are produced on the market for people. So, and especially when the money is fake, when it's easy, when it's uh, just given to banks willy-nilly because they're too big to fail, then, then a lot of those people, whether it's greed or envy, get caught up in the money. And when it's gone, I feel like they have nothing left. They really feel like some of these people, I mean, I'm speaking in, in complete blanket categories, which I don't, I don't mean to be, but I'm trying to get to the heart of the logic of the point I'm trying to make, which is that you need morals, you need morals to save you. And I think all morals are subjective, but you need to find your subjective morals because what it comes down to, even as a humanitarian, which I try to consider myself as a peaceful person, not trying to disrespect or aggress onto anybody, is that there's going to be people that commit suicide and you can't save them. Um, actually, one more example I want to give is a book I'll never forget called Promise Me You'll Shoot Yourself. And it discussed the epidemic of suicides in East Germany at the end of World War II when the Russians were invading from the East. And it was whole families. It was women, mothers, you know, killing their children in fear of what was coming for them. And 
again, that's that's a a result of war, a violent conflict. And again, where do wars come from? They come from the state. War is the lifeblood to this state. Um, and it's awful. It's atrocious. And one effect of the state was leading to war. And as a result, you had this this epidemic of suicides. But getting back to my point as a humanitarian is you need your families and friends and society and morals to tell you not to commit suicide. But the libertarian logic is that if you own your body, you have the right to 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 move it, to 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 use it, to sell it, to cut it, to kill it. Um, it's your body, it's your life, it's your choice in that sense. And and I, I'm not advocating for suicide, but I think it's impossible to say that uh, that that suicide is not something that's going to occur just by legislation. And when essentially when you allow something like this to be deemed illegal, um, then what that means is that the, the institution, the state that enacts this law has a higher claim to your body than you do as an individual. Because if they say you can't kill yourself, that means they have a higher claim and authority to your own body and what you can choose to do with that. And I, I you can't have freedom with a state, um, especially one that controls your life to, you know, the... The, the maximum degree that totalitarian regimes do. Um, so, in closing, I think that you should always find reasons to live um, because, as Mises says, suicide is radical resignation from society. And it's a permanent solution for problems that can sometimes be solved with some perspective. Thank you.